important to keep up with what's going on and be involved. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we can gather together in your name, that you promise to be here among us, with us, and only by the power of your Holy Spirit can we have hearts that are able to hear from your word. And so we invite you now to soften our hearts, allow us to hear the power of your word. It is mighty, stronger than, sharper than any two-edged sword, and it's able to cut and show us truth from the many lies that we hear around us. So I pray that you quiet our hearts, <clears throat> allow us to just meditate on your word today. Thank you for gathering us together. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So <clears throat> Ben was on a conference this week, and so being as lazy as he is, of course, uh, didn't want to also uh, prepare for a teaching. That's okay, that's all right, I'm pretty lazy too. No, that's kidding. Now, he, gave, he asked if I could just uh, fill in this week, and I really appreciate any chance I get a chance to speak with you guys. And it's funny because right when some of these things were happening, I love to see God's hand on things. Uh, of course, last week, you guys were all here last week, right? And you remember Ben's teaching, Pastor Ben's teaching on uh, Ephesians chapter 1. He talked about the power of God that can live within us. And he used that example of Jesus ascending into heaven. And he said, wow, you know, the, the power that it takes for us, our most mighty rockets, to be able to do the same thing compared to what Jesus did. And he didn't even break a sweat. Well, it might have been hot that day, I don't know. But he, he just went without any effort. And we realized that that power is the same power that we have in us. And he quoted a verse, and I want to look at that initially. It's in first, excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 1. That reminded me of something, and I'm hoping to remind you again of something. I'm not going to tell you anything you probably already haven't already heard, but we're to be told to remind us of these things. And in 1 Timothy, remember that Paul saw Timothy as this son figure. He saw him as the next generation. He was pouring into him. He said, Timothy, be strong. And he, he kept encouraging Timothy to be a man after God's own heart. And there in chapter 1, in verse 6, he says, Therefore, I remind you, which I'm doing now to you here, to stir up the gift of God, there in verse 6 of chapter 1, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So Paul, when he's talking to Timothy, begins to exhort Timothy and says, I want to remind you that you have been given a gift, a gift to do a work for God, and I want you to be understand that you can do these things. And then the verse that Pastor Ben shared with us last week, he said in verse 7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Do you see that Paul equates to Timothy? He says, I want you to stir up the gifts that God has given you. Did you know that you all have been given gifts by the Holy Spirit to do work for God? Maybe a newsflash to you. Newsflash. You've been given gifts to do a work for God. And what Paul is telling Timothy is like, remember these things. Don't forget that God wants to do something with your life. And then, interestingly enough, 
he tells him what the main reason why he's not going to do it. He says, God's not given us a spirit of fear. Do you understand that? How he equates those two things? You are going to be crippled in your walk with Christ, in your ministry for Christ, when you allow fear to take over for you. So I want to talk to you today about fear. Now, I know what you're thinking. You said, oh, I was afraid he was going to talk about that this week. <laughs> Don't worry. Don't fear. It's okay. We're going to talk about these things. And interestingly enough, at the same time when these things are being talked about, and I'm mulling them over my mind, my son is going through a time right now where he seems to be fearful of everything. You know, people get in these situations, and he's, he's fearful of this and that and this. And I assure him, you're going to be okay. The world's not coming to an end. You're not going to die. You're fine. And, and, and I reassure him, even though they're, they make no sense. And what really struck me is as a father to a son, how he refuses to believe me. That's, anybody has a parent knows that? Right? And how frustrating it is for a parent to know that there's nothing going to hurt him and yet he's still fearful, and I see it crippling him. And, of course, we're dealing with those kind of things. And I just saw that same exact thing with me and God, and I just see God looking at me and saying, John, oy vey. I don't know if he says it that way, but oy vey. You know, what are you doing? Why are you so fearful? How many times in Scripture do we see do not fear? I heard, oh, 365, you know, I've heard these kind of weird numbers. I, I don't think it's quite that high, but you see it over and over again. New Testament, Old Testament, God's people are told, do not fear, do not fear, do not fear. Now, there's different types of fear, right? The, the Bible talks about the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and of wisdom. That reverence of God, that fear that we use that word for is a good thing. And I was thinking about, well, God has given us this, this idea of being fearful of maybe a lion. Oh, okay, so, so to help myself. But then I started to realize that you, do you realize that in the garden, before the fall, did they fear the lion? No. It was not until after the fall and sin entered in the world that there was a need even for that kind of fear to watch out for danger. And I kind of equate that to being cautious. Just don't be stupid, right? You don't say, I'm not going to fear anything and go walk out in the middle of, you know, M3 or something. You know, it's just it's crazy. But there's also a fear that cripples us. And there's a fear of the future, which is one, one of the main things. Sometimes it can be the past or the present. But the fear of the future, what might happen? Fear to try something that God tells you to do. Fear of what others might think. I like that quote that said, you know, we'd, I'd worry less about what people thought of me if I realized how little they do. Right? <laughs> they don't, right? Very little goes into that. But the one I want to really focus in on today is the fear to do God's calling. And we get a lot of Old Testament pictures of these kind of things, right? We think about Noah. The world's going to be destroyed. But don't fear. You're going to build a big boat in the middle of nowhere, and we're going to save your family. And I think about Abraham. I'm going to take you into the land of Canaan. But don't fear. I'm going to take care of you. 
I'm going to watch every step, and I'm going to make your descendants like the, the stars in the sand. Moses, was he fearful? <laughs> he goes in, oh, take off your sandals in front of the burning bush because this is holy land. I want you to go and set my people free, but no. Oh, he's shaking. I'll be with you. Oh, I can't speak. Uh, send someone else. And God is so patient with Moses. <laughs> I just find that, uh, fine. I'll let, let your brother help you. And so patient. And we see over and over again in stories in Scripture. And I want to turn to one particular one because the Old Testament is pictures of New Testament principles. If Jesus tells us, do not be afraid, we can find Scripture references in the Old Testament of pictures of people who were afraid and who people were not afraid. And we're going to look at that in Numbers chapter 13, if you turn with me there. Towards the beginning of your Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. <clears throat> you probably know this story well. The children of Israel have been released from Egypt, the bondage of Egypt, after they cry out to God and God delivers them. And then they come through the Red Sea and they, they meet with God. They're given the commandments. They're marching to go into the promised land. They're right on the edge. God's ready to deliver them. A very short time of period of time has happened there, and they're going to go into the promised land and be there as God delivers them. Now, when we look at that, those events in the Old Testament, when we look at the New Testament principles, there's a clear parallel there. Now, I always, when I was growing up in a very conservative kind of Baptist kind of church, I remember singing songs like, you know, uh, shall we gather by the river, beautiful? You know, and they talked about, oh, I'm going to cross the Jordan. And it was always in reference to going to heaven, right? It was always like, we're going to gather by the river and go into the promised land, which is heaven. And I started studying my scripture, and I said, there's giants in the land, and there's battles, and there's fortresses, and there's issues, and there's problems, and there's victory, but it's, it's, a, it's a battle, and then I started to understand, as I studied more, that that was not a picture of eternal heaven, <laughs> thankfully, amen, right? <laughs> We're not battles in heaven. It's a picture of the Christian walk, spirit-led, to have battles, but win the battles, take ground for, from the enemy, and to, to do a work for God. It's the spirit-filled, spirit-led life of a Christian that God wants us to have. And when we see that picture, it's like, oh, Egypt is a picture of bondage. We're bound by sin. But then the lamb is sacrificed. Of course, we know that's Jesus Christ. They took the lamb, spread the blood on the, the doorposts, a picture of the cross. Oh, and then the Passover. There is no death. We're freed from death. So we are brought out of that bondage of Egypt, of the world. And then the Red Sea is that picture of that baptism. Oh, we're, we're going in. We're, we're starting a, a new nation of people. We, we are in, in his family. And then we see so many parallels there. And of course, now it's time to go into the promised land. As we believe in Jesus Christ, we put his blood and over the well, Passover. It's all there. Baptism. Okay. God says, now let's go conquer the land. And we say, oh, and we get to find ourselves in chapter 13 of Numbers, don't we? Because we're right on the edge of the land. And every one of us, every morning, wake up in chapter 13. And we have to make a decision for that day. What are we going to do? So let's read in chapter 13 of Numbers. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, 
Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a leader among them. And in verse 3 through 15, 16, we see Moses begin to call out one man from each of the tribes. And I'll spare you me trying to pronounce all those names. That's for the reader. Verse 17, And then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan, and said to them, Go up this way into the south, and go up to the mountains, and see what the land is like whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are forests, whether there are forests there or not. And notice what he says here, the next part there. Be of good courage. That's a fancy way of saying don't fear. Okay, I want you to go in and I want you to just, just to notice. Are they strong? Are they weak? Are they mighty? How's the land look? But, but make sure you protect yourself from one danger as you spy the land, as you get a glimpse of the future. Do you know that God loves to give you a glimpse of what he wants you to do in your life? He does for me. He'll say, oh, I'm, I'm leading you into this ministry. <gasps> I can't do do not fear. I'm just giving you a glimpse. Just giving you a, war, a warning. Heads up. This is what I've got for you. And he says, I want you to see all these things. There's going to be battles. There's going to be giants. But don't fear. He says, be of good courage. And then he tells them, and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So not only go and see these things, but bring some of that fruit so you can see. Oh, whoa. Talking about manna, that's good stuff, I tell you. Banana bread, you know, banana bread and you know, all these. But eventually, I want something else. I want grapes, melons, oh, some good stuff, right? Even vegetables. And then he says in verse 21, So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin, as far as Rehob, near the entrance of Hamath. And they went up, through the south, and came to Hebron, Ahimen, Shishai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, were there. Now Hebron was built seven years before Zon in Egypt, in case you were wondering. Then they came to the valley of Eshkol, and there cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes. They carried it between two of them on a pole. They also brought some of the pomegranates and fig- figs. Now, you know, you've seen this, right? This is one of the symbols of Israel. Uh, two men with a pole and a, a, a cluster of grapes. One cluster of grapes. Have you ever gone to Woolies or Coles and picked up a cluster of grapes with one hand and thought, wow, okay. Can you imagine that where it's like, oh, hey, Caleb, help me out here. <laughs> you got to get a pole between them to carry them to the checkout, right? And then you try to put it on the, the, weight, the weighing scale. Oh, that would be $500, please. You know, just imagine that. They just picked it up. So this is not an ordinary kind of thing that we think of, of grapes. Imagine that as they begin to spy out the land. And he cuts these things down. They return them. And in verse 24, it says, The place was called the Valley of Eshkol, which means cluster, because of the cluster which the men of Israel cut down there. And they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. 
Now they departed, verse 26 tells us, and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh, and they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told him and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Now, Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession for we are well able to overcome it. Do you think Caleb had fear? No. He's like, <laughs> now when he says us, I assume he means the global us with God. <laughs> I don't think he meant, oh, man, I've seen you guys fight. You guys are really good. I think we all can take. No, he means the global us with God, right? But what do the people say there in verse 31? But the men who had gone with him said, we... I don't think they include God there, are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out. Oh, not only the people, but they said, oh, the land's not that good either. Listen to them. They said, the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. As I was reading that, I was reminded that that verse, listen to it carefully. What did they say? We were grasshoppers, we were very small, in our own sight. When they looked at it, they said, we are small. Therefore, so we were grasshoppers in their sight. Do you see that what they saw, they assumed that the enemy saw. And they, they had a complete wrong perception of everything. And why? Because they had something. Fear. They had fear. So chapter 14 says, And all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night, and all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron and the whole congregation and said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if we had only, di only had died in this wilderness, why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt." Here's something that I've noticed about fear, and maybe you have too. It makes us stupid. Oh, it would have been better had we died earlier because we could die in the future. Do you understand the logic there? <laughs> oh, I wish we'd have died so that we wouldn't die. Okay, uh, let's just pretend you already died. Okay, what do you got to lose? <laughs> right? You're afraid of death, but you're saying you wish you had died. Fear makes us stupid. And it creeps in and it just breaks our brain. 
and we start saying dumb things, and we start being irrational. And we see that in our son. It's like, he's just being irrational because fear changes our complete perception of everything, and we forget the simple things that God delivered them. They went over the Red Sea. They saw what happened to the Egyptians. They saw the battles. They saw God's feet and were so afraid they're falling down. No, Moses, you talk to God. Amazing. So what does Moses and Aaron do? They don't defend themselves. They just fall on their faces in verse 5 before the assembly and congregation of Israel. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. It's a way of mourning. Verse 7, it says, And they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and will give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. He says, Wake up. You're being stupid. Why are you fearful? It doesn't make any sense. Look at the birds of the air. They don't soil and, you know, uh, sow and reap, but God feeds them. I mean, that's what Jesus is saying. He's like, wake up. Fear is making you stupid. Just think about it for a minute. This land is a good land. It's not full of things that will swallow you up. And if God is for us, who can be against us? Of course, we, we know. And it flows with milk and honey. Now they, they try to exhort the children of Israel, verse 9. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And then look what he says. Nor fear the people of the land. For they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them. And the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Do not fear them. The whole reason why they would not go in, and they came up with a silly excuse that, oh, it would have been better if we had died. We should go back to Egypt is because of their fear. It's like, don't fear. And that has crippled them to a point where they do not believe God. They don't believe in his promises. They don't remember all the times they've been delivered before. Their brain has been completely eliminated from normality. And all they're doing is huddle in a corner, shaking. And Caleb and Joshua said, wake up, guys. Come on. Let's go. I'm tired of manna, you know? I'm ready for some grapes and some pomegranates and good stuff like that. But, verse 10, all the congregation said to stone them with stones. (laughs) Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. And the people continued to try to stone them. Now, oh, I'm sorry, I I added that. What do you think happened? Do you think they they still have the stones and they're like, oh, the glory of the Lord's over there, but let me me go ahead and still try to kill them. You drop the stones. They're flat, right? The glory, this is the Shekinah glory of God comes down on the tabernacle of meeting and the people are blown away. I think it might have woken them up and reminded them that those giants that are across the land there, they're nothing. God's just reminding them. It's like, hello, I'm here. And they drop their stones, I'm sure, and fall on their face and say, whoa, okay. God's going to defend not only them against their enemies. Now, God's defending Caleb and Joshua against their enemies and reminding them, fear God. And what does fearing God do? It eliminates the fear of other things, right? Are they thinking about the giants in the land of Canaan? No. 
they're now seeing the reverence of God right before them. And so God steps in. And in verse 11, he says, Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people reject me? And how long will they, look at this, not believe me? With all the signs which I performed among them, I will strike them with a pestilence and disinherit them, and will make of you, Moses, a nation greater and mightier than they. And of course, if I was Moses, I'd be like, right on, God, get rid of them, I'm done. Let's do it. But of course, God's working with Moses there in verse 13 through 19. Moses prays a beautiful prayer of, on behalf of the people. And then in verse 20, the Lord says, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with, with the glory of the Lord, because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have put me to the test now these ten times and have not heeded my voice, they certainly shall not see the land which I swore to their families, nor shall any of the, those who rejected me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me faithfully, I will bring into the land where he, is, he went, and his descendants shall inherit it. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valley. Tomorrow turn and move out into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. God says, the issue is they didn't believe me. They didn't remember the things that have happened. And they don't go in the promised land. They spend 40 more years in the wilderness, walking around. I mean, I'm just thinking, you know, do they have a soccer ball at least? I don't, what do you do in the wilderness for 40 years? That'd be pretty boring. You know, no cable TV, nothing, just more sand. Picking up manna, doing your thing. I don't know. What a miserable life. All because fear crippled them and didn't allow them to live the life God had for them. Now, we see that in contrast. If you turn to the right a little bit further to Joshua, you have Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. Remember, Joshua was one of those spies that came back with a good report. In Joshua chapter 1, we see that Moses has died, and Joshua is now in charge. Forty years has passed, and they're ready to now try again. <laughs> I noticed they didn't send a spy this time. Well, they did, they did Jericho, a couple of them, but they didn't quite do the same thing. You know, so it discouraged the people. So here we are in chapter 1. It says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea, towards the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. Look at verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you 
all the days of your life. This is a promise to Joshua and to anyone God calls, right? And as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Do you hear a little bit of Jesus talking here? Behold, I am with you always, right? Over and over again. I mean, it's almost as if you hear Jesus here, which you are. <laughs> so he's talking to Joshua. He says, I'll be with you, and I will not leave you nor forsake you. Why is that reiterated in Hebrews chapter 13? Because it's a promise for us as well. God promises to us, I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. I have this promise. I have this life for you. So then he tells us there in verse 6, be strong and be of good courage. That's the positive side of do not fear. What does he tell Joshua? Do not fear. I want you to be of good courage. I want you to be strong. Look in verse, uh, continuing there in verse 6. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give to them. Only, once again, be strong and very courageous that you may observe and do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For when you make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success, for then you will make your way prosperous. When you're in the Word, when you're meditating on the Word, do you see a tie in there? What are we told to do? Be in the Word. Be in the Word. Why? Why is Scripture, why is us being in the Word, why is coming to church and, and hearing the Word and for us to daily be reading our Bibles so important? Because it reminds us of God's faithfulness to others and reminds us of our faithfulness that he's given to us and his promises and his warnings. And he says to Joshua, you need to be in the word. You need to be studying the word because that will battle fear. If you're in God's word and you're studying God's word and you're believing his promises and you're walking according to the word, you won't be fearful. But you'll be, as he says, strong and courageous as he repeats Yet again, and this time in verse 9, he says it's a commandment. He didn't say it's a nice to have. He says, I command you. You ever think about the Ten Commandments? Here's, here's 11 and 12. I command you, be strong and good courage. And then he says in the negative, do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. Why? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So you might be here and, you know, I, I was just sitting there thinking, I don't know statistics, you know, 87.3% of all statistics are made up, you know, they say. What, what number of people that are in the church are of the 10, not the two, right? The 12 spies, spies that go in. And, and all we can do is be afraid. And you notice how, how, it spreads. Do you know that your fear spreads to others? When you're afraid, when you're negative, when I say things, oh, we can't do that, 
it spreads. And everybody's like, oh, yeah, I guess we can't do that. Fear spreads. And I wonder how much, what percent of the church is like those 10 that are so crippled and so fearful that God just, okay, church, another lap in the wilderness. Let's bring you back around. You guys going to do something? Are you guys going to go into the promised land? Are you guys going to really make a stand and, and live a good, exciting Christmas, Christian walk? Man, do you see what happens in Jericho? <laughs> Blows my mind. And the generation before could have seen that. And God's power. And I find myself falling into this trap. And I know you do too where I'm fearful. Oh, God. I, yeah. And then I wake up, and I'm suddenly, God has given me the ability to be courageous. And I'm in the Word, and, and I'm seeing God do a work and all this kind of stuff, and then I get fearful again, and I get crippled again, and I, I just go into a shell, and I do nothing for however long, and then God wakes me up again. And God is saying to this congregation, to me, and to you individually and to this congregation, guys, don't be afraid. I have a ministry for you individually, I have a ministry for you as corporately as a church. I don't think he'd say this, but get off your butts and go, right? Maybe that's the way I would say it. But. So I think about this and I say, how can we do this? I was thinking about other characters. In the, you want to study uh, uh, Super Chicken. Uh, I'm just remembering his name. Uh, Gideon. Wow, how fearful. I call him super chicken. Yeah. He, he was uh, so fearful, and yet God still used him. So if you're afraid, you know, God can still use you if you let him. David, when he was a young lad fighting Goliath, just think of that story. Now, that is a guy who saw God work. Now, what was his secret? Study that. What does he say when he talks to uh, Saul? He says, the reason I know I can take on Goliath is because God helped me save a say the sheep from a lion and a bear. And if I could beat those guys, because I shouldn't be able to beat them. So God is going to use you in this way and this way, and you remember, wow, God used me here. God used me here. Now God can use me here as a congregation. God used us this way. God uses this way. He can use us more. So I hope that one person in this room says, I'm tired of walking in the wilderness. I want to I live the, the Christian life that God has for me. I want to step out and throw that fear away. I think about the sources of fear. Where does fear come from? Do you know that fear comes from our flesh? Don't do it. You might get hurt. It comes from the world. The world tells you you can't do anything. You're nothing. It comes from others. People around you, fear is contagious. It comes from Satan as well. You know, Satan lies to you. Satan knows that fear will cripple you. Do you think Satan isn't whispering in your ear right after God whispers in your ear and says, God says, you can do it. Satan says, no, you can't. There's no way. There's giants. It's a lie from the father of lies. Satan lies to you, says you can't do it. And so I'm going to ask Ian is around here somewhere to come in. Because one of the things I find is, you know, on uh, Christmas, I did a little nativity scene. I don't know if you guys saw that. I think for me, visual helps. 
music is a gift from God and allows us to be able to um, hear things a different way. So I've asked Ian to come and if you could play a song for us. It's a song that I had heard before and just reminded me of how fear can cripple us and how it can just prevent us from, from living the life that God has for us. So I'll ask Ian to just play this. We'll have the words up there. If you know it, feel free to sing along. If you don't know it, just ponder some of the words as we're reminded of where fear comes from and how it can just take over our lives, and it doesn't need to be.
just hope that kind of reminds us of some of those things. I want to close on one more verse in First uh, John chapter 4. Because this is key. Because you say, yeah, I want to fight this fear and we might try really hard. And yet we still find ourselves fearful. Well, I'm happy to tell you that there is a solution. I love First John, of course, likely the last book written by John, even though it's not ordered that way in our Bibles, as he compels us in that whole book, talks so much about this key word that we use flippantly nowadays, but of love. And in 1 John chapter 4, we're talked about how greater is he that is in us than he that is in that world. That same chapter towards the end there in verse 17, listen carefully. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. And that source, that whisper in our ears, is that God doesn't love us. And if we remember that he loves us, and he cares for us, then as the song was saying, we're casting that fear by the, into the fire. We're allowing the Spirit to remind us again, as we need it every morning, that God loves us and he has what's best for us and we don't have to worry. Lord, I thank you that we can come before you and that you're not a God of fear. Just think about my son, and how I just want to remind him that I love him so much that I'm not going to allow anything to come into his life that might be in danger of him, that he can believe me when I say something is safe. And I'm so quickly reminded of how many times I wake up in the morning and how you whisper in my ear that you want me to do this or want me to talk to this person or you want me to step up in this realm or this way. And fear cripples me prevents me from moving forward, keeps me in the wilderness, the dryness of the wilderness. You have so much for us, such an exciting life that you have for us. But fear is stopping us. So, Lord, I pray for each and every person that's here today. If we're dealing with physical kinds of fears, Lord, help us to just live fearlessly that every breath is in your hand, that nothing can happen to us without your approval. Help us to be reminded of that and believe that with all of our hearts. And if we're fearful of stepping out into areas that you have called us to do, of sharing the gospel with our neighbor, of being the husband or the wife that we should be, of being the parent we should be, of being whatever you have us to step out in the little things, We hear your voice that tells us to do something. 
How many times do I, how many times does each one here today say, no, I don't believe you, God. I don't believe you. I don't trust you. And I just see you saddened as we go back into the wilderness and live a miserable life and not a fulfilled Christian life that you want for us. So give us the strength. Wake us up. And as a congregation, Lord, I pray this church is on fire for you. That it's not fearful. That we step out in new areas that we've never done before. That we try new things. And be led by your spirit in all things. Not by our power or our might, but by your spirit, says the Lord. We just want to be used by you, Lord. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name.